You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Morning. Uh, you never know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. About uh, 7 o'clock last night, Bill texted me and he goes, are you in town? And I go, I am today, but I got a flight at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, and I go, what's up? He goes, man, I'm, I'm not doing well. Something's come over me. So he's still sick this morning. Uh, I don't know if he's got food poisoning or the neurovirus. A lot of chills, a lot of fever, stomach problems. Uh, so let's pray for the, the Vecchio family, and then we'll go to God's word. <clears throat> Excuse me. Almighty and sovereign and holy God, in your holiness, you direct um, every aspect of your universe for your glory, for your honor, for the glory of your Son, and for the work of your Holy Spirit. We stand in awe of that uh, this morning. We stand in awe of it and things that are happening in our world. Um, we stand in awe of it for things that are happening in a small town in Kentucky and in this church in this fellowship this morning. Lord, may you just pour out uh, your healing upon the Vecchio family. Uh, may you just give Bill rest. Uh, let him be still. Let his mind uh, turn to you and you alone in this time. Let his day be a day of healing uh, and filling the spirit in him and working on him both in his physical, spiritual, and mental health. We thank you, Father. We treasure you above all things, your Son, in all aspects of our life. Let him be the sufficiency and the supremacy of us in all things. Amen. Uh, so we've been in, in Ephesians, uh, and the, the, the scripture today was supposed to be Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Bill had prepared for that, and I think because Bill put the time and heart into it, we will let Bill carry that next week. Um, it's always interesting when you get these calls and you fill in at the last moment. Um, you kind of just got to calm your ha- heart and sit there and, and listen to uh, the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, after we hung up and after I changed flights. Um, you see God's sovereign in all things. He was sovereign in the phone call. Um, for whatever reason, God in my life, he's had me travel all over the world. And because I'm a 1.8 million miler with United, I can make a phone call, have somebody on 30 seconds, change my whole flight schedule, it cost me absolutely nothing. Um, and so that's what happened. And all this is because God said I have something different planned for today. Um, so I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I titled this message, Jesus, the Visible Expression of God. This is what God's Word says. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we reserve mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, 
but by the manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord as Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be God and not from ourselves. I want to read some preparation scripture to get our hearts right. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you through God's word. Um, We are a sola scriptura, scripture alone church. And sometimes it's just good to read scripture to prepare our hearts before we hear, hear a message. And I, I'm just going to run through some scriptures that talk about do, do not lose heart. Some scriptures that talk about what truth is. And some tr- scriptures that talk about Jesus, the visible expression of God. Now he was telling them a parable to show that all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, when we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are in the household of the faith. For we hear that some among you are leading undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. No such person we command or exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashions and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren... Do not grow weary of doing good. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Thomas said to him, Lord, do we not know where you are going? How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is a spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides in you. Excuse me, he abides with you and will be in you. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and darkness cannot comprehend it. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities are all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head, the body of the church. He is beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have a place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. We live in interesting times. Uh, God's creation, humans have always lived in interesting times. Um, this week I was in Lexington, Kentucky all week, and I'm actually going back to Lexington this week. Ashbury is about 12 miles from the, ho about 12 minutes from the hotel that I'm staying in. Uh, I've had a lot of people last week, just people that I, I was working with, ask me what I thought about what was going on in Ashbury. Uh, I've had people here ask me what I thought about what going on in Ashbury. And when you look at what's going on in Ashbury, it's really quite amazing. They're praising God in song and in word. They're recommitting their lives. God is saving. So most of the questions say, Tim, is we know you're a man of faith, Tim. Do you believe this is real? And when I listen to what's going on, I have to say, yes, I do. It's not just a bunch of people singing. The word is being preached. And more importantly, the word is actually just being read. Just being read. Not even exp expositated by a preacher. Sometimes they're just getting up there and they're reading scripture. Wow. That in itself is evident that we had to just sit here and be amazed. At the same time we're seeing that, we're seeing, unfortunately, brothers and, and sisters in Christ and pastors and celebrity pastors and book writers and whatever you want to call them in Christian faith that, that are being twisted and shrink and are cowered in the face of loudness. They're changing their theology on the spot because there's a lot of noise coming from all sides. We tend to appropriate Christian words for our own gain. We feel that because we insist that we think we know we're right, we're right, no matter what it's talking about, whether it's within Christianity or outside Christianity. This is the way I feel, and this is the way I think, and this is the way I think I am, so I'm right and everybody else is wrong. We agitate, instigate, exasperate, and frustrate within the church and without the church. We insist in being relevant, so we brand and we craft and we tweak and we smooth the truth. We see the pillars and leaders suddenly pivot on the truth to be accepted as relevant. 
God is relevant because he simply exists. He doesn't need me to claim his relevancy. A writer of old, I was reading something on, uh, and studying for this and, and just watching how our world, um, our world moves. I'm a history of history and a history of the history of the church. Um, and listening to one celebrity pastor say that we ought to just totally do away with the Old Testament. We don't need it. Just let me read something to you. Blowing toward the south and turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular course as the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Anybody know where that comes from? Yeah. How long ago was that written? Thousands of years. Except we think all this stuff is new. And we believers stand amazed at it and be quite honest. We as those who have, should have a biblical word, world view sometimes handle the whole thing wrong. And so having gone through the last week, I've spent a lot of time in the verse in, in 2 Corinthians. And I see it as a beautiful blueprint inspired by Paul through the Holy Spirit to do a couple of things that we'll walk through as we go verse to verse through this. Um, but I do find it as a text that is very important for the times in which we live as believers, for us to live up to this. I will end it with an application coming from 2 Timothy. But let's go, to, uh, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 6. So I think Paul sees in this verse, and he sets out a order of presenting the gospel that we should all understand and know and put into practice. Verse 1 says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, do not lose heart. The Greek word there for lose heart is literally, don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. Wow. It's just like the author of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun today. We still have people that fill pulpits that are cowardly, that shrink back when pressure of the world hits them. And Paul says, do not be cowardly. Do not shrink back. Do not lose heart. And then he goes into verse 2, and he tells us one of two ways you want to interpret it or unpack it is here's what cowardly shrinking back looks like. Or if you want to turn around, here's what you should not do to hold up to be strong to the truth that is before us in Scripture. Verse, verse 1 says, don't be cowardly. And then he says, 
uh, and verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating. That's a beautiful literal translation of the Greek word. Adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So how do I not be cowardly? I don't change. I don't soften. I don't adulterate the word of God. If you look up the word adulterate in the English, it says do not render, and I'm going to add the gospel here because we're talking about the gospel. I don't really care about really what other people adulterate today. I do care about do we not adulterate scripture. So to not be cowardly, we should not change, soften, or adulterate the word of God. Don't render the gospel poorer in quality by, add or, by adding clever and misleading words and thoughts. Do you realize that we have a movement in, I have a hard time saying the body of Christ, but we have a movement of somebody rewriting the Bible today to make it more relevant to our language and reinterpreting and adding words that aren't even in the Greek. And they think they have the authority to do this. They think they can just take it and add words. And it's misleading and taking people down a road that they don't need to be taken down. Uh, putting roadblocks to faith. They say they, they do it because they want to make God rel more relevant. We don't make God relevant. He is and always, always has been the very definition of relevancy. God is relevant simply because this glass Christ holds together for his glory. I sit here breathing because Christ, Christ holds me together for his glory. If he was to take that breath away from me right now, it would be for his glory. What's going on in Ashbury is for his glory. The gospel is the expression of of God in the face of Jesus Christ for his glory. And anything in the world that softens it or changes it or is crafty or is clever, we should be very discerning to stay away from. And in this day and age, the big difference between us and the author of Ecclesiastes, nothing's changed. It just moves faster. It wrecks people quicker. It hurts marriages faster. It divides churches sooner. Because we can do it with a telephone. And we can do it under the authority. In the last three weeks, I've seen two priests. I'm not sure what they are. If they were Anglican or Roman Catholic, and one Protestant use the words that Jesus was a tranny. I hope that shocks all of us. I hope you're crying. And I hope you're crying for the words, and I hope you're crying that that would come out of anybody that would even think he knows Jesus. 
Oh, you didn't hear the word of what they called him? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. They, on their, their clips, is they, were, they were saying that Jesus was a tranny. They used the word tranny. Yeah, that should shock us. Thank you. I'm sorry that I didn't speak loud enough. I need to remember what my wife sa says. At the end of my statements, I tend to tail off, and I apologize for that. But if we're, if we're not worried about the purity of God's word, if you're not afraid, if you're, if you're an elder in a body of Christ like myself, if, if God's word where it says that, Tim, you will be held at a higher standard than anybody sitting out here, and you will give account for everybody that has ever entered into your building or you have talked to in Lexington or Reno or Moscow or Vladivostok, I will hold you accountable for. If that doesn't make you shudder in fear, then you probably don't have a gift of teaching and preaching. Because that's the times in which we live. It's not really any different. Those of you in the, in the book of Isaiah, what have we learned about the, uh, the, Jude, the Israelites in Judea at that time? They, they decided that, you know, things aren't going good for us. And, you know, we've always heard down the line through, through Scripture and through verbal, te te uh, verbal teaching that our God created all things. But man, that Assyrian God and the Assyrian king seems pretty strong. And yeah, I'm going to keep the Sabbath. But I'm going to take my wife's spoon. I'm going to send it over to the carpenter. He's going to carve it into an idol. I'm going to nail it to a table. I'm going to cover my bets. I'm still going to keep the Sabbath. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to put up my holy arms to pray. But you know, what if I'm wrong? And what if Moses was wrong? And what if David was wrong? So I'll just make sure. I'll just cover all my bets. Book of Isaiah, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm not quoting it. Uh, but I paraphrase it to say that, the, that the, uh, the wood that you carved your idol on, you eat your stew with tonight. We have brothers and sisters that are being led to drink stew out of an idol of theology that does not exist. And I want us to stand amazed at Ashbury. And I want us to join in. I want us to pray for them that it never ends. And I want, us, I want to watch this movement of God. But we also have to be very aware of what else is going on in our country on the other end of it. Because it's the time in which God has put us here. And most of the sin that is caused by craftiness and quality of the gospel is we don't know our role. Verse 4 I've titled, The Danger of Mistaking Our Role. Verse 4 says, In whose case the God, small g, Paul means Satan, in whose case, I'll start in verse 4 again. Excuse me, verse 3. So we're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, Paul fully realizes 
that there are people that are veiled. Their eyes cannot see the glory of Christ and his gospel. It is veiled only to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, small g, Paul means Satan, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. That's the truth okay, that we've talked about today of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. What's the number one thing that God wants us to hear in the gospel? This is my son who I am well pleased. And if you want to see me and you want to see my glory and you want to experience my glory, look at my son. And if you don't look at my son and all the fullness impurity of scripture you're simply not looking at my son Jesus says some pretty condemning words to pastors and community group leaders and Bible study leaders we prophesied and we taught in your name but I never I never knew you I never knew you if you soften his word if you add to it with misleading thoughts, that verse ought to make you shudder. We do not remove the veil that the devil has put over our eyes. Get that all through our heads, not our role. That is done by the power of God through the unadulterated preaching of the truth found only in God's word. Will God use a pastor to unveil blinded eyes? Amen. If he doesn't adulterate the word of God. Number four, we see the truth. The gospel is the glory of Christ Verses 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6 can be simply um, explained in six words. Jesus, the visible expression of God. According to Ephesians chapter 1, one great big long sentence that goes for 14 verses in the English. Um, Christ came for one thing. To, the, to be the praise and glory of the grace of the Father. The gospel glorifies, exalts the Son because the Father loves the Son and shows him all things. Let me, I'm going to finish. I'm going to go to, um, I'll just go four through verse six. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, that's the truth, Knowledge, truth, gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ.
The gospel is God's supernatural experience, our salvation in Christ alone, of his and his alone objective reality. That is the glorification of his son and the forgiveness of our sins so that through him and in him and by him, we find all our treasures in life in him alone. I know and experience the reality of God's love through Christ in Christ alone. Do we ever stand amazed that we experience something that Moses only wished for? We experience what God had to push Moses into a crag for. I see the glory of God when I look at the face of Jesus Christ. He is the radiant expression of his Father. So let's apply this. So how do we react today? How do we not shrink back and lose heart? How do we present the truth unadulterated, without craftiness, and without cunning? How do we live out our role of simply bringing the truth to a needed and lost world? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 22. If only, brothers and sisters, we would treasure and love and desire to be in perfect fellowship with Christ daily, we would live this out. This is Paul's advice to Timothy. It's Paul's advice to me and Bill and any other pastor, any other Bible study leader, community group leader, when your group of two or three or four are just sitting there talking. It covers all of us. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. How often has the body of Christ been quarrelsome? How often has the body of Christ not been kind? How often do we lose our ability to teach because we're not patient when we're wronged? Paul quite says it's going to happen. You're going to be wronged. In a situation like this, in the situation today, when, when, you're, when we are going to be put in positions to, uh, to evangelize or give the gospel totally unadulterated, not softened, to people that really don't want to hear it, how often are we going to be put in a position that we will need to live the fruit of the spirit and patience in kindness and in love. 
he makes an interesting thing here in verse 25 with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if there's actually a so in the Greek so perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth sometimes maybe we wonder why God's not using us and maybe because we're quarrelsome maybe because our heart's really not kind Mainly, maybe because we're not walking in faith, love, and peace. And he says, be kind to all. All. So perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Brothers and sisters, stand amazed at what's happening in Asheville, Ashbury. One of the reasons I don't question it is you listen to the president of Ashbury University, and he actually has refused and asked asked news agencies, do not come to Ashbury. This is not political. This is let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit will do. We really don't want you here. I don't need Fox News or CNN or anybody else to spread this. God will spread this as God feels he wants to spread it. And I honor that man. We should pray for that man. And we should pray that it does catch. We should be humbled by it. At the same time, we should cry for it goes on daily, sometimes within the body of Christ, sometimes outside the body of Christ. Paul says at the end of this letter of Corinthians, look at yourself in the mirror and test that you're in the faith. Am I kind to those who are hard to be kind to? Do I love those who are sinning right now and need the gospel just as much as the man that bring me the gospel when I was sinning? Do I love that person that deeply? Somebody loved me that deeply. Am I willing to be patient and long-suffering with that person when he's in opposition to what I'm trying to tell him? I love church history. Uh, And I want to end this and then we'll go to prayer. Reading the wisdom of the brothers that have gone long, long before us. On 2 Timothy, I'm just going to read a few quotes. Uh, From Chrysostom, he writes of 2 Timothy 25, correcting with gentleness, angers nor excuse. And this is his words about 1,700 years ago. Therefore, let us not be provoked with these men. Let us not use anger as an excuse, but let us talk with them gently and with kindness. Nothing is more forceful and effective than treatment which is gentle and kind. This is why Paul told us to hold fast to such contact with all earnestness of our hearts when he said, the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but be kindly toward all. And he did not say, only to your brothers. 
but toward all. And again, when he said, let your gentleness be known, he did not say to your brothers only, but to all men. What good does it do? He means if you love those who love you. Augustine wrote, but then in the correction and repression of other men's sins, one must take heed that in rebuking another, he does not lift himself up. The sentence of the apostle must be remembered. Let one think he stands, take heed lest he fall. Let the voice of chiding sound outwardly in tones of terror. Let the spirit of love and gentleness be maintained within. So then you must either consent to evil so as to prove it, nor be negligent so as not to prove it, nor be proud as to reprove it in a tone of insult. And finally, again from um, Chrysostom, and I'd say this to everybody because we all shepherd our families. The shepherd of sheep has a flock following him wherever he leads. Or if some turn aside from the direct path and leave the good pasture to graze in barren and precipitous places, it is, it, it is enough for him to call more loudly, lead them back again, and restore to the flock those that were separated. But if a man wanders away from the right path, the shepherd needs a lot of concentration, perseverance, and patience. He cannot drag by force or constrain by fear, but must be, be persuasion led him back by the true beginning from which he has fallen. He needs, therefore, a Holy Spirit, heroic spirit, not to grow despondent or neglect the salvation of wanderers, but to keep on thinking and saying, God, perhaps, may give them the knowledge of the truth that they may be freed from the snare of the devil. Let us pray. Almighty and holy God, search me that when you send me in the world that I am a vessel of gentleness and love and kindness to a lost world. Lord, you equipped us in our salvation by the abiding and living of the Holy Spirit in us to be love and joy and kindness and patience and gentleness and faithful and long-suffering. Holy Spirit, strengthen us that that is who a lost world sees. There's nothing new under the sun. We're not living in times that our brothers and sisters did not go through. We have great examples to follow, to emulate. Thank you, Father, for that. Holy Father, we stand amazed in awe and wonderment, great expectations and joy of what your Holy Spirit does in Kentucky. Father, we ask that you, for your glory, for your son's honor, uh, take that wherever you're going to take it and let us fall to our knees in awe. 
And Father, let us treasure so deeply and love greater the glory of you that we see in the face of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus in all things. Amen.